Good morning, and welcome back to Coworking with Iris, where we talk about community and co-working. And in this is episode 24, and I will be talking with Jacob Martinez of The Digital Nest. And Jacob founded The Digital Nest about two years ago to serve the youth of the community of Watsonville, California. He has 900 plus members at this point that he's serving. And um, the, the products or the services that he provides to the youth of Watsonville are free. And so I'm really excited today on a couple of notes to be talking with um, the founder of a free to members co-working space. Um, pretty cool. And also mission-based co-working, um, you know, really solving a societal problem through the co-working model, which I, I really believe is, um, is something that we can do in the world. We can solve a lot of the problems that we have in the world through um, accessing the co-working model. So I'm really excited to talk with Jacob today. And uh, let's go ahead and get started. Welcome. Thank you, Iris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. So please tell us your co-working story. Uh, so I am the founder of Digital Nest, which is out of Watsonville. It's for youth ages 12 to 24, but we predominantly work with youth uh, from high school to 24. Um, we launched this back uh, two years ago, but it was based upon eight years of work that I was doing prior um, that was funded through the National Science Foundation to build a IT and computer science workforce here in this country because of the of the lack and the shortage of uh, highly skilled CS workforce. Um, there was two things that kind of over the course of the eight years that I was kind of wrestling with and saw and one was that outside of our program, which is uh, one day a week in schools, um, there was very little access to technology on a consistent basis for youth. And this was not just happening in Watsonville, this was happening across the country. So you would see programs start or camps start uh, that would come up, you know, a week-long programming camp or coding camp, and, and then it would disappear. And then, or you would, uh, after school programs, but during the summer there was nothing. Um, and so kind of thinking to myself of like, what if there was a place that was consistently there for youth, um, that any day of the week that they could show up and, and get access to a space? And then the second thing that uh, really sparked the digital nest was I was taking kids on field trips to places like Google and Facebook and um, different companies throughout Silicon Valley. And those environments were so rich and engaging and exciting. And the kids just loved to be there. Um, but we'd bring them back to their schools where there were rows of desktop machines with big old clunky headsets and, mm. and teachers that didn't know anything about tech and weren't inspired to teach tech. Um, so complete opposite of what industry was doing. Right. Um, so I kind of thought to myself, what if we uh, took that model of an IT company and apply it to youth tech centers? And what if we were there every day of the week? And that's wow. what... Um, Sparked the digital nest uh, back in 2014. Wow. And so the digital nest is free for members. How did you go about funding it? Yeah, so we are our nonprofit, 501c3. Um, we, 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 Watsonville is a community that's pretty low income. And so we needed, we knew that whatever we created had to be free. Mm -hmm. um, and so the way we, we thought about doing that was to, 
make it a nonprofit and ask people for donations mm -hmm. and support. And so, uh, fortunately, I was doing all this work that was funded by the National Science Foundation before. So I was doing a lot of good work in the community. I never needed money because I had these big, massive grants behind me. Mm -hmm. And so when I launched this thing and I started asking people for help, uh, a lot of these people have been watching my work for years and they all kind of trusted in me and believed in what I was doing and, and stepped up and I've uh, raised the money to, to open this through this broad base of community support. Wow, that's awesome. And ongoing, you, um, you take ongoing contributions from the community as well, right? Absolutely. I mean, we've, we're growing quickly. Um, we, our first co-working space was about 1,200 square feet. Um, in a year, we've closed it down because we hit 450 youth in a year. Um, and there would be days where we just couldn't fit everybody in. It was mm -hmm. too tight. Mm -hmm. um, so we had to get a new location, and we're now up to 4,500 square feet. Um, our membership is over 900 now. Um, and there's days in here that we see 70 kids in here. And so uh, lots of computers that are needed, lots of space, lots of our furniture gets beat up pretty quickly. And mm -hmm. so we're constantly <laughs> fundraising to keep growing and and keep a, and uh, keep a creative space. Yeah. Please excuse um, my puppy in the background. He's outside, but apparently he's going to bark a while. So, <laughs> so you provide youth training and workspace to um, the youth. So tell us how that model works. How does, what, so if I'm somebody coming in, I'm 14 years old, um, I, I, I show up for the first time, what happens? Yeah. So um, we are open for youth high school at 24 and um, or 12 to 24. So if you're under 18, you come in, uh, you go through an orientation, you have to get parent consent to being in the space. It's an application process. No one gets denied. It's just a step we wanted them to go through to, uh, so that we're just not registering a bunch of kids and just never showing up. They're, they're, they're putting some, some work into becoming a member. Um, they come into the space and uh, they go through an orientation. They learn about how to work in the space and the, our culture, um, because it's, our culture is really important. It's, um, you walk in here and there's 30, 40, 50 kids in here. They're not goofing around. There's, they're working and they're talking and they're creating and they're, and they're, there is some lots of hanging out, but they're, it's, people are being productive in this space. And so we, we have steps for these to go through, um, because we don't want them to just come in here and, and take this place for granted and just hang out. We, they understand this is a, a professional workplace. And so who provides the training and how do you source the trainers? Yeah, so what we started to do was uh, we have, the, the base of what we do is provide safe space, access to co-working space. We have, just like a tech company, we have free food and we get a product from Newman's Own Organics, and we have a, we have a chef that preps meals for us every week, and and then we have access to technology, and at the second level of what we do is provide training, and we provide training for local workforce needs. So we've been working with a lot of local industry around what are the what are the challenges you're facing in terms of finding finding talent, and what are the skill sets that they need to to be eligible for like a entry level job at your company, um, and so. 
once we identify those those needs, then we build out our training uh, to address those needs. Um, so we have three major career pathways, uh, and a fourth one that's pretty emerging. Uh, the first is digital arts and technology, so which is all our Photoshop, graphic design, videography. Um, the second is web and IT, so which is our programming. Computer, uh, we, te we teach through a few different languages, computer programming, um, as well as web design and networking. And then we have our people, which is training youth on how to be in marketing, or, or those are for our people people. So the ones that love to, mm -hmm. are interested in marketing or communications or project management. And then we have a fourth around ag technology. Um, mm -hmm. And so we do a lot of the in-house training, but we're heavily reliant on volunteers to come in and bring their, mm -hmm. their subject expertise in here and their professional expertise. Um, and so we've had people from like Apple and Google and uh, Netflix come teach classes and, and then local small design firms and, and graphic artists. And, yeah. wow. wow, that's awesome. And so what made you cut off the age of the member at 24? Um, a couple things. Developmentally, that's a really, uh, that's a really important age to continue to work with youth. Um, and then we also wanted to capture those youth that were graduating mm -hmm. from college. Um, what we, what you see in communities like Watsonville, and these are low-income communities, is we have a lot of kids that are really successful in high school and go off to college. Mm -hmm. um, there's an example I have of this young woman who was one of the top students at Watts at the local high school, went to, got into UC Berkeley, graduated from UC Berkeley, and then she moved back home into her single-parent household. Her mom was a, a harvester, a field worker. Mm -hmm. um, so she moves back home because she wants to be close to her mom, but her mom doesn't have a professional network. Mm -hmm. Her mom doesn't know how to introduce her to people or get her into companies. Um, so this, I, I met this young woman when she was on her way to go apply for a job at Target. Um, so here's a Berkeley grad that mm -hmm. can't find a job because she doesn't have any, in to, into, like, any connections, any net professional network struggling to find work, you know? And so um, we went up to the age of 24 because we see a lot of youth that are 22, 23, that are struggling with that. Um, and, and we had to cap it at some point uh, just because it was, you know, we, we don't have so many resources. Mm -hmm. Wow, that is, you know, I didn't even, I didn't even consider that. Um, it was sort of a no brainer, um, you know, to serve the 12 to, through high school, and I and I really understood without needing to get much information about why that population needed to be served. But the eighteen to twenty-four year olds, um, and really those twenty-two to twenty-four year olds, that's so fascinating. I can really see that um, that experience of coming out of college and then being like, you know, going back to your small town that you came from or your small community that you came from, and really wanting to be part of your community because okay. that's home. And, and not having any way to do so. Right. So, um, yeah, that is really powerful. And I know it's been interesting that the community has really rallied behind the nest. And so uh, I tell our members, you're one person away to meet, to getting a, uh, to work at Twitter, right? You're, if, you, if you're a young person, you're like, you know, I'm really interested in getting a job at, uh, at Google. We know people at Google and, and we can make that connection, you know, and, so this network that they didn't have, um, just being a digital nest member, the community, even the local community, some law, 
they all know Digital Nest. And so if a youth was to say, oh, I'm with Digital Nest, um, there's their, their door. Mm-hmm. There's, the, there's a crack in the door that gets open for them. Um, so it's, it's been, I, I wasn't expecting that when I opened this, mm-hmm. the, the importance of the professional network, but it's becoming one of those things that is, is, is growing and um, just really, really impressive with the Nest. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. And so how do you measure the impact that you have on the lives of your members? What, what, what metrics do you use for that? So we're looking at uh, skills attained. So, um, and then we can attribute those to, uh, then we can assign those to their resume and making it more competitive for local jobs. Um, ultimately, we're trying to get kids employed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have currently seven youth that have got have found jobs, um, which is pretty, which is really good for, yeah. know, for less than two years. Yeah. Uh, we including have one at Facebook now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And these are all these college grads that didn't have the network. Yeah. Um, so we have seven youth that are employed and, there's ways to measure economic impact of, of people's salaries and um, of getting good paying jobs. Um, and then the other thing we do is when we train these kids for uh, like, let's say web design or graphic design, they're not building websites about their favorite celebrity or, or sports team. We assign them a real local client. So we have businesses in the community, small businesses coming to us for technology support Mm -hmm. Um, and we assign our youth to work on them on those like um, on their website Mm -hmm. Um, so some of our measures that we're looking at too is how many businesses we can support how many websites we could build for companies for small businesses and then there's some numbers out there you could run on on the impact of a website on a small business yeah and the economic impact and the you know the potential revenue generation of that and tax increase local tax increase so um, we're looking at things like that to economic measures. Mm-hmm. And then there's, of course, the always hard to um, to measure just benefits that co-working spaces um, offer to their members the world over, which are, you know, the soft um, sort of life impact. Oh, yeah. Of, you know, of getting to know your fellow members of, uh, you know, li- sort of life changing stories that we all know. And, you know, um, one, one thing one of my, my community managers just told me um, she was in high she's relatively young in her early 20s so she still remembers high school and, she, and even as a college student she remembers that personal bubble that youth in our community have around there's a lot of attitude around hey you're in my space or like you know this is my own personal space but mm-hmm. here at the nest here in the co-working area you have kids sitting next to each other and there is not that issue of personal space mm. it's been pretty remarkable and I have I could go down and sit next to a youth and ordinarily if I was to do that in the school the youth would look at me like oh this is an adult sitting next to me and like kind yeah. of feel awkward but here it's in the space in the in the culture of co-working a lot of these bu- walls of like have been broken down around people's personal space and mm-hmm. community which um which is is a new thing a new shift for these youth to start being productive in wow that is that is wonderful yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, and so what is the demographic makeup of your membership base? We're 80% Latino, which mm-hmm. is the uh, ethnic makeup of this community. Mm-hmm. Um, we're 40% female, which is really, which is pretty high, which is really high. So yeah, uh, I'd say you're one of a few co-working spaces that's not female focused that can right. say that actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, 
Um, we have and our our sweet spot in age is uh, like sixteen to twenty one year olds. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, if you look at our member, our age distribution is complete bow curve, um, and so our sweet spot is like a sixteen to twenty one year old. So those those youth that are workforce eligible and mm -hmm. ready to work. And how many of your members are children of migrant workers? Or of, or of farm workers, I should probably not sub, subgroup those, but f children of farm workers. Yeah, we don't have, we don't ask that question directly, but we did ask, we had a focus group of about 20 that we surveyed around how much of your income is dependent upon agriculture. Mm -hmm. And it, there was a, like a resounding like 70% of them had some were relying on some some of their income coming from ag, and so um, we can associate that with them. You know, having no having a family member that's out in the field doing work or yeah. involved in some ag company, mm -hmm. packing or something. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm going to ask um, because this has been a rough week um, for many of us in the in the country and probably the world. Um, how did your students or how did your your members? Um, uh, you know, what was the mood, I guess I should ask, on Wednesday morning? It was tough, you know. Um, it was tough on the staff. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the night of the election, a lot of our staff were in a massive, like, texting back and forth and talking about our work and the importance mm -hmm. of our work. And um, and then Wednesday morning, you know, it was pretty quiet here in the morning, but once that bell rang and school was released, uh, we had kids coming in hugging us. Mm -hmm. um, we had kids coming in um, crying, um, so we decided to do just like a ad hoc like circle and just have create a safe space for people to speak and share or listen. Mm -hmm. And we had about thirty, about twenty to thirty kids that participated and staff as well. And there was definitely tears shed, you know, and you know, and and our youth are are pretty are. It, it, pretty political and, and sophisticated. And we had one youth that was talking about how the work that we're doing here is so important because so much negativity gets put upon our culture. So many bad things are spoken about in, in uh, about our culture. And what's mm -hmm. not spoken about are kids like the ones we have here in the nest that are doing and creating and contributing to the economy and supporting small business mm -hmm. and sparking ideas of entrepreneurship and interfacing with adults at a level at a professional level right and these are predominantly uh, latino youth mm -hmm. and and so this youth was talking about this and the importance of what we're doing here and and how we need to focus our energy on on being productive and producing and showing the world what what we as a people are capable of doing yeah that's amazing I mean you know the service that you provide any day is um, I think crucial and and really important and at the same time um, you know in this time of uncertainty we who knows what's coming next but having a safe haven of the adults to turn to of the staff um, to turn to I think is um, so powerful and so needed. Um, so that takes me to the question of, you know, what what are your plans for the nest um, moving yeah. forward? Yeah, you know, when I launched this, um, 
I, I, I like to think big and I like to, uh, my vision of this was big and I saw this as a solution for rural communities, not just in California, but across the country. Those communities that don't have a lot of resources, that don't get a lot of focus, um, I ha have a need to build their economies and the digital nest can help build that, the skills and the workforce and to help build the economy. Um, and so um, we're looking at how do we replicate this and uh, what's that model look like? And so we're gonna have our first little experiment um, in 2017 by opening up a center in Salinas, California, which is about 30 minutes from here and about 45 minutes south of Silicon Valley. Um, it's a big community, so over 100,000 people, so it's not rural, but uh, they're, they're the sellable of the world. And uh, most of the big uh, produce companies are based out of uh, Salinas and the surrounding area. So um, we're looking at how do we create uh, these centers in communities that are all those communities between San Francisco or San Jose and Los Angeles, all those communities that come down to central California that uh, are struggling economically. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what digital nest is ultimately is, is uh, trying to shift the economics of low income communities um, by getting the youth, the skills to get better paying jobs and by getting businesses support and generating more revenue for them, generate more tax base, have increasing home ownership of, of the people from those communities, putting pumping more money into the education system um, to try to combat some of those things that are associated with poverty. And so, we're looking at this region to start, and then um, we'll see about you know how how big we could take this thing. Yeah, I think it could go really big <laughs> and be applied to so many different types of communities, and um, you know communities that uh, that need that economic uplifting. Yeah, yeah, and um, so with with the expansion, um, how do you see that? Do you plan to um, partner with other organizations to roll out more nests, or are you really looking to have that be um, something that that you and and the team that developed the nest together that you you guys sort of not control but um, you know guide because to make to sort of maintain that that vision as it were? Yeah. So. Um... I don't. I don't know the answer to that. Um, the, what we're hope, opening up Salinas. I think is going to mm -hmm. give us some insight into that. Um, but it's only thirty minutes away, right? So it's easy for my staff to get there and back. Um, so it's not like a true like. How what would it look like if we open up one of these in, in the middle of Kentucky or something, yeah. right? Um, but I'm hoping that we'll shed some light onto what that looks like. What does replication look like? What are the pieces that are needed in new locations, and what are the pieces that are are um, unique to Watson or unique to Salinas? Um, and and then hopefully we can find some you know some support, whether it's um, foundation or corporate support, to figure out how do you is this a model that can can replicate further, and what does that replication look like? Is it is it a franchise model? Is it Right. Is it technical consulting by us and people create their own nest and they can look whatever they want, but we do the consulting and the marketing or whatever. But so I think we're, we're, we're still trying to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. And, 
how do you, uh, we, we talked a little bit about funding um, in the beginning, but I know that you provide um, the students with actual technical equipment to use. Is um, how that works, because I think co-working spaces around the world have thought, you know, well, what if I rented equipment to my members? How, how would that work? And, and so what, what's been successful for you guys in that and, and what's been challenging? Yeah, I th what's worked is getting equipment in the hands of kids. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, you have a kid in this community that wants to be a graphic designer. That means they need to, they need to get a MacBook Pro nowadays. I mean, so yeah. those are, those are, you know, starting at 1200, right? Yeah. You need to get to Adobe Creative Suite, which is a monthly fee. You need to have good internet access because it's now all uh, on the cloud. Yeah. Um, you need to have, if you're a graphic designer, you need a drawing tablet. There's, you know, for something decent, there's another $100, $150, right? Mm -hmm. And that's good for two years until you have to upgrade everything, right? And so putting, so you're already up to over $2,000 for a kid to get started who wants to be a graphic designer, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, that's just not realistic for youth in many communities, but especially low-income communities, to go ask their parents for this. Um, yeah. So we are, that's worked, is getting the equipment in their hands. What's been a challenge mm -hmm. is, our, is our growth. As, as we've grown, we've needed more equipment, and tech's costly. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's also gets used a lot, and um, we need good machines. And, and those aren't cheap. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, and things break and things yeah. get, you know, little things get dinged up here and there. And that's fine. We want that to be used, but to yeah. try to keep up, it's it's a lot on the organization. You know? Yeah. I can imagine that being a really complex aspect. <laughs> yeah. Especially, you know, in a space where people might be drinking uh, you know, beverages while working and you know, having that computer fail for some reason, it means that, you know, you can't serve that number of, of members with that computer and that those costs could add up pretty quickly. Yeah. And, you know, when I started this, my, my intention was, my, my attitude was to get the best for the youth and like, mm -hmm. like, don't worry about the cost. I'll figure it out. So let's get the right. best machines. We get all brand new stuff and we'll, we're not going to take a bunch of used stuff from people who just want to like hand us over used things, but we've had to um, yeah. because we just can't afford it. And so uh, it's a bit of a challenge. Um, how do we stay, you know, it's, it's, how do we keep all the latest and best stuff in here? And so always active yeah. fundraising and um, trying, to, trying to make it happen. So what is your favorite Nest story? Favorite nest story. Um, I'm sure there's many of them, and it's hard uh, well, to I have, I have, yeah. pull there's one a, there's out. A lot, but you know, <laughs> recently um, there was a young boy, he's a senior in high school, a B and C student. Uh, you know, not the best. He's probably not going off to four-year university, going off to community college. Uh, he was in a class at a home period where he was just sitting there, wasting, kind of just doing homework, center, not really doing much. He went to his counselor and asked his counselor, you know, can I, I'm, I'm not learning anything, can I go to the nest during school? And she gave him permission. And now he's here. He's building a table with LED lights with a little Arduino microcomputer inside. And he's programming it to change the LEDs based on the beats of music that's happening in the nest. So, <laughs> I mean, I think that, 
you have kids that are being stuck in school yeah. for hours and lost and not being challenged or engaged. We're kind of the unschool. Um, and so it's been really cool to see kids come in here that outside of these walls probably never get talked to about, oh, you're going to college or you're so bright, you're so creative. He probably doesn't hear those words outside these walls, but within the Digital Nest, he's like a superstar here, creating one of the coolest pieces of technology that all these other kids love to look at and play with, right? So um, <laughs> I think that's, the, that's what it is. The Digital Nest has kids that are talented, bright, motivated. They just need the opportunity. And um, that's what we're trying to do is give them that opportunity. Wow. I just love that story. That's just awesome. And, um, you know, I, I, I can see the vision of collaborating with schools in each of the communities that you're in to really enhance um, what they can offer and what you can offer as well. Yeah. 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 So I hope. Wonderful. So how can our listeners get in touch with you if they want to connect about being a nonprofit co-working space, your story, maybe they want to open a digital nest in their community? Yeah, we're on all the social media out there. So you can find us anywhere there. You can also find us on digitalnest.org or you can just email me at jacob at digitalnest.org. Wonderful. And what's next for you, Jacob? Uh, well, opening up another site. That's that's going to take most of my time. This is Taking a, it to the next level. This is an, another experiment of how do you do this in a community that, you know, that's kind of new to us. So it's going to be a challenge, but we're excited, and it's just opening the doors to more kids. So we're excited. Wonderful. Well, Jacob, thank you so much for joining me today. It was just lovely talking with you, and I'm so thankful for the work that you're doing in your community. It's, it's really heartening and world-changing. Thank you, and uh, yeah, I appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. And if you'd like to check out past episodes, you can go to coworkingwithiris.co, where we have a podcast that you can subscribe to. Uh, join us next week at 10 a.m. Pacific time or the podcast afterwards. Keep doing the great work you're doing every day. Keep changing the world, and keep lifting up your members. Take care.